It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. All righty, what's going on? Welcome to the program. It is September 1st, 2020. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. And thank you so much to patrons of the program like Alan, Jenny and Sean, Juanita and Pamela, Stephen and Michelle and Nancy and Jim and Robbie and Jan and Daryl. I could not do the show without you. So thanks so much for the support. I do appreciate it. Also, uh, I appreciate a good deal just as much as the next person. And here's a great deal. So you're going to have like a lot more appreciation for a great deal versus a good deal. And the great deal is the triple zero deal at Mattress Man. Triple zero, zero down, zero percent interest for up to 24 months. So no APR for two years. And there's a third zero, zero payments for 90 days. Triple zeros. Also, take advantage of their deal on the Queen Gel Memory Foam Mattress. It's $399. You can also pick up uh, the free bedding bundle with the purchase of select mattresses. This includes sheets and protectors and pillows. And it is all at Mattress Man Stores, mattressmanstores.com. They ship nationwide. So uh, take a look at the inventory. It's all on their website. Pay particular attention to the Biltmore collection. These are uh, the mattresses made by Rustonic out of Fayetteville. These are the mattresses that the Biltmore Inn and Hotel use. They're fantastic. I mean, they're at the Biltmore after all. So, Mattress Man is locally owned and operated. They've got four stores in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. As I said, they ship nationwide. They have local five-star delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee. So, go where I went to get my mattress years ago. Great people that uh, have supported the program from the very beginning. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. So after Joe Biden tries to blame Donald Trump for all the violence occurring in American cities, Donald Trump goes right back at him in a a battle of the the speeches and press conferences yesterday. Uh, We're going to get to that. But first, Democratic Governor Roy Cooper released a budget proposal the other day, and it highlights the kind of risky budgeting practices that Democrats basically enacted for decades in North Carolina, which led the state to massive multi-billion dollar deficits prior to Republicans winning control of the legislature in 2010. Brian Balfour is the executive vice president of the Civitas Institute, and uh, welcome back to the show. You're doing well? Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me, Pete. Sure. So uh, exciting stuff. The governor is out with his budget proposal, which I have to admit, it kind of it kind of uh, caught me off guard. I wasn't anticipating a budget proposal at this time of year from the governor. Uh, this is it seems a little unusual. It, yeah, it did come as a bit of a surprise to me as well, uh, especially uh, two months already, basically two months into the fiscal year that uh, he's creating the budget for. Uh, but uh, obviously, this is pretty unique circumstances. And uh, I mean, we, we can get into some of the uh, uh, what I would consider pretty irresponsible uh, budgeting Cooper's proposing, um, especially in light of uh, even the fiscal research uh, folks down at the legislature are saying that uh, there's still so much uncertainty with revenue uh, and what revenue is going to look like for this fiscal year. Uh, and then, you know, they're probably going to have to come back uh, sometime later in September with with adjusted uh, revenue projections. So uh, just a, a lot of great uncertainty. And, and unfortunately, Cooper is is not necessarily taking that into um, into advisement with his um, uh, recommendations. Well, I found it. I'm not a I don't know, I'm not a, an accountant guy, so I had a hard time following what was going on with the uh, 
with the explanation as to why the revenues looked good right now, but they're probably not going to stay good. And it had something to do with the delay of the filing that we all enjoyed an extra couple of months or whatever before we had to file our taxes. But I don't know how that actually impacted anything. Yeah, it's a little bit of a shell game, really. All it all really boils down to um, what they were expecting because of that deadline was pushed back from the normal April 15th into July 15th. Uh, obviously, that would put um, a lot of these last, you know, kind of last minute filings, if you will, uh, into the new fiscal year, the one we're in now, uh, that started July 1. Uh, and so um, uh, the fiscal research projections were saying that would push about a billion dollars from last fiscal year into current fiscal year. Uh, but then when they started, when the numbers actually materialized, they're saying, wait, OK, it's it's not as much got pushed into the current fiscal year. Um uh, so it's really just a shell game because that that money is from last fiscal year's unspent anyways. So it's just a carryover. So I think that was uh, really kind of much ado about nothing. It's just kind of six and one half dozen the other. Okay, uh, and I'm sure that explains it. Still have no idea. <laughs> what is? <laughs> I still have no clue. Um, but uh, what I do know is that there's a general philosophy, and I heard it expressed, I think it may have been former Governor Pat McCrory years ago when he said uh, there's a general spending philosophy among Democrats, particularly at the state level, where it's see a penny, spend a penny. And it seems like that was the guiding philosophy with Governor Cooper's proposal this time around. Yeah, that really struck me. So as we uh, you know start this fiscal year, like I said, started on July 1st, there was a carryover, showing a carryover of unspent funds from last year of about $1.4 billion. Um, and what's amazing is that Cooper incorporates all of that money into his spending plan for the current fiscal year. Uh, and, and again, at a time of great uncertainty, um, you know, parts of the uh, of state economy are still shut down, thanks to Governor Cooper. Uh, so he should know better than anybody that we're facing a great time of uncertainty. We don't know what revenues are really going to be looking like, but yet he's just plowing forward. And not only his plan spends all of the currently anticipated revenue for this coming fiscal year, but also spends down all of the money that carried over from last fiscal year. And he actually is planning on uh, increasing uh, total general fund spending by a billion dollars over last over the uh, last fiscal year. Uh, it just doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me to, to to try to be that aggressive in the spending plans. I mean, I watch all of the press conferences. Is I don't think I've heard anybody ask him why he would be spending so much money when we don't know if our economy is going to be able to rise up out of this self-induced, admittedly, recession. Right? Like it's. It seems like he's putting us or attempting to put us on a path uh, towards tax increases, or he knows that this isn't going to pass, and so you might as well just throw it all out there and uh, and and win praise from everybody who wants to see their particular programs and services funded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some some are saying that this is more of a a campaign document rather than an actual budget document. Mm. Uh, as you were mentioning, you know, there's. Uh, um, a lot of money invested in pay raises for education personnel, which is a big constituency for him, especially the NCAE, of course. Uh, and um, he uh, did no, well cuts funding basically about by $85 million for uh, the state's most popular school choice program, which, of course, is something, again, that the NCAE uh, objects to and, uh, and opposes. So, uh, And he also, Cooper also, again, includes Medicaid expansion 
in his uh, uh, spending proposal, something that's been shot down multiple times in the past. He knows there's no chance of that passing. So I think there's a lot of a big component of this uh, document that he released is, is mostly, a, you know, for campaign purposes. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned the, the Opportunity Scholarship Program. He always targets this program. It really is amazing. It's, And I, I don't understand how uh, so many Democratic leaders uh, can uh, ignore the real impacts that the program has on many of their voters. Uh, it, I've talked to enough uh, education reform advocates and voucher advocates over the years, many of them African-American, who are saying, like, the, like the Democrats need to uh, reverse course on their position on these scholarships because of the people that it helps. A lot of times they are minorities, and uh, it, it, it hurts the very base that helps elect these Democrats. But I guess we know where we know where the support is most important. I guess it's coming from the NCAE. Yeah, exactly right. And we are starting to see some cracks uh, in this, this kind of unified opposition uh, to school choice programs. Uh, and in particular, our Civitas Institute polling, uh, I mean, number one, across the board, these school choice programs are very popular. But interestingly, they are most popular among uh, the African-American community, the folks that we poll. Um, you know, those are going to be the communities that are most highly impacted by these programs. Uh, more often than not. So I, I think there's a greater and growing recognition uh, that a lot of these schools are failing too many of our kids, especially low-income kids, especially minority children. And this is a great way to provide greater opportunities for these children to achieve a better education than what they're getting now. You mentioned the Medicaid expansion, which I guess you have to expect that's going to be in there because it's the reason he vetoed the last budget, right? So, and got a, And got teachers no pay raises <laughs> so he's kind of he's on that hill i don't think he has a choice but to die on it at this point um and from listening to his um his speeches and his um his press briefings whenever he's asked about it apparently medicaid expansion it solves every problem uh, at least that i'm aware of uh, listening to him but this thing is dead too it's not going to happen as you said as well uh he was did you catch his last press conference he was pretty impassioned about it. i haven't seen him exhibit that kind of passion ever i don't think actually ever about medicaid expansion or anything right yeah it, it's amazing how they've sold medicaid expansion as just this curable for everything that ails the uh, you know healthcare system uh in the state and there's all these positive it's going to be a boon to the economy it's going to create jobs it's going to uh, take care of all these sick people and somehow magically there's no downside you know <laughs> they're trying to present this fantasy world where it's all benefit no cost uh, but, you know, obviously that's that's doesn't exist in the real world. Uh, we've been writing about that uh, at Civitas for quite some time now. And one thing it's, I think that's kind of interesting in Cooper's budget plan, uh, he claims that it's not going to require any new state uh, taxes. But then he admits that it is going to cost about two billion dollars. The state's share of expansion is going to cost about two billion dollars. And that's that revenue is going to be raised on a new tax on hospitals. Uh, and that, which is especially curious, you know, as we continue through this pandemic and more and more hospitals, especially rural hospitals, uh, have been uh, uh, seeing their revenues decline rapidly. Uh, uh, many more of them are facing bankruptcy and, and going into debt and begging for government handouts. And now Cooper wants to expand Medicaid and slap a $2 billion additional tax on hospitals at this time. It's just, it, it's really kind of mind boggling. 
um, how they're trying to sell this as, as being all benefit and no cost, and uh, and that's clearly not the case. Right. So the, the, the hospitals have to pay uh, the state share of the expansion cost. The feds kick in. Is it still like 90%, 95%? I forget what the number was. It's changed. Yeah, correct, 90%. 90%. And then... Um, and so he says that this is going to save these hospitals because now they're going to get all these patients and they're going to get the 90%. But if they're getting taxed as well to pay for it, I'm curious as to how this actually does the math work on this, knowing what you know about my my uh, uh, lack of math skills now. So like, do, do you, does the math work on that? It, it, it does not. And not only are the hospitals, you know, would get dinged with this $2 billion in taxes, but uh, research from other states shows that a significant portion of the folks shifted onto Medicaid after expansion are coming from the ranks of the privately insured. And that is another ding on hospitals because private insurers uh, pay higher reimbursement rates, much higher reimbursement rates to hospitals and facilities than does Medicaid. So we're shifting a, a share of these patients that, that uh, hospitals are treating from the higher reimbursement rates of private care or private insurance over to Medicaid. So that's another uh, financial loss that they would be confronted with. Right. So, yeah, the people that were funding the Medicaid gap, they're they're going to get shifted into the Medicaid expansion. So now you're not getting anybody to fund that gap. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a double whammy. Um, the pay raises for teachers, you mentioned this as well, uh, because we know Governor Cooper cares more about the teachers than the Republicans do, and that's why he has vetoed every teacher pay raise that he has been presented with as governor. Um, the Republicans gave teachers pay raises in the last budget cycle. Do, is there any, uh, I don't know, is there any word on the street around Raleigh that Republicans are going to look to do more pay raises or bu- or bonuses for teachers this time around? Uh, yeah, I haven't heard any specifics. I know they're going to be coming out with some plans uh, here very shortly this week. Uh, if they do do anything, I think it will, would actually replicate, at, at least in this regard, Cooper's plan to give out one-time bonuses. Mm-hmm. I don't think that you know permanent uh, raises are in the cards right now just because of so much uncertainty with the revenue. You don't want to um, uh, enact a a recurring expense uh, an increase in recurring expenses which that permanent pay raise would be so this one this bonus obviously is just one time money um and then they can reassess next year what they want to do with salary so i think in that regards they may replicate uh what cooper's looking for in terms of bonuses uh whether or not the the amount would be different than cooper we'll we'll find out probably in the next few days there's money yeah. in the budget now for Leandro funding, which uh, this is the court case that uh, says the constitution of our state uh, has, you got to provide a sound basic education. And what does that mean? The state has to give money to particularly poor counties that can't raise enough revenue on their own because the, what operations are funded by property taxes. I think that's essentially, it's been a while since I've touched base with Leandro, but I, I think that's kind of the gist of it. Right. And um, it sounds like then, the governor wants $50 million increase for Leandro plans, but what does that actually mean? Right. Yeah. It's just additional education funding uh, to target uh, funding, for example, for children with disabilities or ask, uh, at risk um, students, uh, also to expand the teaching fellows program. Uh, uh, so things of that nature and really just kind of in line with many of the recommendations from that, uh, the West ed, um, uh, report having to do with the Leandro Commission. Uh, not, not really surprising that he would also do this. Uh, again, this is 
something that's going to curry favor with the NCAE. Uh, we'll, we'll see if this, how this is reacted to by the, uh, by the General Assembly. Uh, I know there was a lot of pushback when that West Ed report came out calling for uh, even additional uh, spending increases. Um, and, and I know there's a lot of opposition and, and questioning of that report and a lot of those recommendations. So this could be another bone of contention uh, as, uh, over the next few days. All right. And uh, one of the uh, final things here you write about at your piece at ncivitas.org, Cooper's plan would maintain funding to public schools at current levels, even if the average daily membership declines. Why is that this ADM? Why is this number so important? And what is the, what is the, the purpose of this ADM provision? Yeah, ADM is, is the average daily membership. And, and that's important because a, a significant share of the annual funding to schools is based on, of course, how many kids are in the schools. Uh, and so with, with uh, a lot of folks opting for homeschooling or um, uh, private school options because of Cooper's orders to not allow for the majority of school children to return to the schools, uh, there's a lot of concern by those folks in the education establishment that uh, these declines in, in uh, um, membership, or I'm sorry, in attendance, is going to be reflected in a decline, automatic decline, according to these formulas, uh, a decline in the funding that the schools are going to are going to receive. So they're really concerned about that and want to try to hold schools harmless uh, because of that. You know, some are saying that that uh, it might be a good idea to maybe reassess the uh, the daily membership numbers uh, after uh, the beginning of the new calendar year, you know, possibly with in hopes that the children are back in the school uh, in the classrooms by then, and so we can kind of reassess really just what a change in membership and the daily membership took place. So that that's going to be another thing that I think they're going to work out in the next few days. Okay. And um, what is the reinvestment partners? Who are these people and why are you writing about them uh, in uh, at the website this week? Yeah, well, this had to do with the $5 million uh, line item appropriation that Cooper included in, in his uh, budget proposal. Uh, $5 million dollars. Uh, for a program called what he called Hotel to Home. Uh, basically, the purpose of that would be to acquire, for this organization to acquire hotels and convert them into permanent affordable housing uh, after this public health crisis uh, abates, as they said. But curiously uh, and interestingly, the organization that will be receiving the funds to carry out this program is called Reinvest- Reinvestment Partners, uh, which happens to be a founding member member of our old friends Blueprint NC. Of course, the group famously um, uh, uh, authored that strategy memo to eviscerate, mitigate, litigate, and, and on down the line, <laughs> the yeah. state's leadership. Uh, so basically, what this amounts to is Cooper is allocating $5 million of our taxpayer dollars to an activist organization that helped spearhead political attacks against his opponent in, in the 2016 gubernatorial race. Uh, so I, I found that pretty important to call out to people of, of what Cooper was trying to get away with with their tax dollars. It is amazing how often these types of relationships turn up in government in general, but particularly this kind of relationship with activist organizations and democratic leaders. And I, and I think it gets this, it gets the kid glove treatment because they, they sort of uh, cloak themselves, the activist organizers cloak themselves in some sort of uh, you know, noble pursuit. Oh, well, we're just, you know, in this case, finding affordable housing. And how can you be against ending homelessness? But it, but really what they're talking about is a program that benefits 
the people that backed Cooper. Uh, and it's kind of it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what he tried to do with the pipeline slush fund. Just a little bit. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. And it's I mean, you know, rewarding your your political allies via the budget, uh, I think, should just raise eyebrows across the political spectrum, you know, regardless of the party of who's doing that. I, and, and that's why I wrote uh, that post uh, just calling, uh, you know, calling attention to to what's going on here. Yeah, and you can read it at nccivitas.org. Brian Balfour, the executive vice president of Civitas. Thanks for spending some time with me today. I do appreciate it. Thank you, Pete. Nice to talk with you. Now, one of the links at NC Civitas will take you to the Mapping the Left project that they have been engaged in for years, uh, sort of connecting the organizations with the funders. And, for example, uh, the funders of this reinvestment partners, just to run down some of the uh, the organizations. I mean, obviously, the Z. Smith Reynolds Foundation, as Brian mentioned earlier, but also Bank of America, Wells Fargo, MetLife. Burt's Bees, that's the Burt's Bees, isn't that the guy who does the lip balm, whatever? Um, yeah, it is. And uh, look, PNC Foundation, uh, let's see, going back a couple of years now, it would be Citibank, the Ford Foundation, uh, the U.S. Rural Business Cooperative Services. So you can tell they, they're getting a lot of money from government grants, but also from private financial institutions, massive financial institutions. Right. Like and and maybe those institutions are giving a little bit of grant money for a particular program that this entity is running like uh, there's one that, you know, for support of community development, education and human services. I don't know what that means, but I can see how that might pass through some sort of underwriting grant program at a bank. Um, Food. uh, So, yeah, for the cool food hub program. That's what Burt's Bees donated to. Oh, look at that. So it's like a food pantry. Who could be opposed to that? Right. But all the dollars that are spent on these other programs are dollars that are then freed up by fundraising to go towards political activism. In this case, the reinvestment partners and the funding, uh, this $5 million that the state taxpayers are going to be on the hook for, for this hotel to home. Now, I'm not sure how that actually plays in Asheville, because we are against a lot of the hotels. So (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure giving state money to the hotels is going to placate the radical base uh, here in Asheville. Um, Now, I will say up the road in Weaverville, there is a fantastic place called General Equipment Rental. And they have got all of your equipment rental needs, okay? And the fall is coming, so maybe you're looking to do some tree trimming work uh, when the leaves fall. Maybe you need some leaf collection, uh, you know, leaf blowers, leaf collection. Maybe you need a new mower. Uh, General Equipment Rental will have you covered on all of that stuff. They are also, by the way, your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. They do work on on, uh, equipment as well. And right now, they got their hands on the Karcher misting system with vital oxide disinfectant. And uh, this allows you to sanitize and disinfect large areas, your business, for example, your home, maybe you're a property manager, uh, maybe you're in charge of, uh, you know, child care facilities or a charter school, something like that. And you want to do, you know, mass disinfectant and sanitizing. This is the thing you need. It's super easy to use. It's like the size of a shop vac. It's got four wheels. You roll it around and you just spray everything down. And the vital oxide disinfectant is safe for kids and pets and food contact surfaces. It is an all-in-one hospital-grade 
EPA-approved germicidal disinfectant sanitizer and deodorizer. This thing kills 99.9% of the infection-causing bacteria and viruses, including the coronavirus. It also kills mold, mildew, and fungus. Uh, We were at a friend's house the other day, and I saw their deck was getting all covered with the green stuff, you know, because it just doesn't get a lot of sun. And so I said, Karcher Mister System at General Equipment Rental. This is what you need. You rent it once. And you spray everything down and you're good for like a week to 10 days. All you have to do then is spot clean the high traffic areas. All right. Family owned and operated for three generations. General Equipment Rental. Their website, generalrents.com. Generalrents.com slash Pete. And you'll pick up a coupon for two free cloth face coverings. I love the face covering I got from them. Like it's it's got American flag logo on it and uh, it's super comfortable. It's the most comfortable mask I've got. So uh, go to generalrents.com slash Pete, get yourself a coupon for that, or go to generalrents.com and check out all of the machinery and equipment that they have to offer. They've got it all. Generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. So yesterday, as Politico framed it at least, the clash over Kenosha, Biden flips the script on Trump as the campaign heats up. The back and forth between the president and his Democratic challenger marked a new phase of the race. This is the horse race type of coverage, by the way. And uh, the question, the crux of their clash, as Politico frames it, whose leadership poses the most dangerous threat to the country? Now, I actually think that both sides, both campaigns, very much want to make their case on this question. I think they're both equally, I think the left and the right are equally happy to argue this point. Because this is, think about it, what the left has been arguing the entire duration of Trump's first term. Right, that he's dangerous, he's destabilizing, he's destroying norms, he's going to get us into World War Three and then World War Four and maybe World War Five if he has some time. Like this is the argument. This is the whole thing with Russia collusion, right? This is uh oh my god, I can't believe he took out Soleimani, the leader of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. He's gonna cause a war with Iran and no war with Iran. It's always at the heart of every single argument. Uh, they make against they make against Donald Trump this underlying uh, premise that he is dangerous to America. When they're not outright saying it, uh, they are implying it. By the way, this is the same argument they make against virtually every Republican president, right? That they're going to kill you in some way, shape, or form, and that this president is dangerous to the nation and its citizens. So this is not necessarily something that is Trump specific. Trump just gives them a lot more ammo with which to work. So here's how Politico reports on this, that Joe Biden went first. Joe Biden uh, gave a speech in a major speech. The speech was only like 25 minutes. Anyway, it was a major speech. There's like six people there. It was really weird, too. I saw the uh, the spacing out. There was a somebody took a picture from up above. And it's just like this huge, empty, look like a warehouse. And there are like five people like one on the camera and then like two or three around the perimeter and they're spaced out at like 30 feet intervals. It's just weird. Anyway, uh, he gives this speech and uh, he offers a sweeping indictment of Donald Trump's America, highlighting failures in his handling of the coronavirus and portraying the president as so desperate to hold on to power that he is resorting to fear and hatred as a campaign strategy. The incumbent president is incapable of telling us the truth. 
incapable of facing the facts, and incapable of healing. He doesn't want to shed light. He wants to generate heat, and he's stroking violence in our cities. Stroking violence? You know, this is a, a tragic fact of the matter that about his perilous hour what? That how he's dealing with this perilous hour in our nation. Wait, all right, so hang on a second. So all of the people that would rip on Donald Trump and his inability to uh, read a speech off of a teleprompter, they're all celebrating this speech that Trump or that Biden gave as if it's like, well, it's a major speech. Oh, my gosh, it was so fantastic. I don't know if I've ever heard a speech as speechy as that speech. It's just it's just so speechy. Uh, the, the praise that this guy gets, it's it's overcompensatory if you know what i mean they're they're giving so much praise it makes you wonder are you guys insane just a little bit or are you trying to just will this into being you just say it enough times and people will believe that it was the best speech ever guy could barely make it through individual sentences now that's not to say he did a worse job than donald trump does reading a teleprompter i'm not a fan of the way donald trump reads a teleprompter uh and you'll hear some of some of his problems in a bit. But this idea that Donald Trump is so much worse than Joe Biden, I'm not so sure. Biden's been doing this for 40 years, and you would think by this point he's able to read a teleprompter. Although I would point out he used to be able to read a teleprompter. Not so much anymore. I'm sure it's nothing. I'm sure it's nothing. And now we have to stand against violence in every form it takes. Violence... We've seen again and again and again of unwarranted police shooting. What? Excessive force. Seven bullets in the back of Jacob Blake. Knee on the neck of George Floyd. Killing of Breonna Taylor in her own apartment. Violence of extremists and opportunists. Right-wing militias. And to derail any hope and support for progress. All right, so he's now denouncing violence. Okay, good. He's denouncing violence by extremists, or first he starts off by the cops, right? Law enforcement cites the three uh, cases and then uh, goes into the extremists and opportunists and right-wing militias. I'm sure he's getting to leftists and Antifa and Black Lives Matter like any minute here. The senseless violence of looting and burning and destruction of property. I want to make it absolutely clear, something very clear about all of this. Okay. Rioting is not protesting. Looting is not protesting. Okay. Setting fires is not protesting. None of this is protesting. It's lawlessness. Okay. Plain and simple. And those who do it should be prosecuted. Violence will not bring change. It will only bring destruction. It's wrong in every way. It divides instead of unites. Destroys businesses, only hurts the working families that serve the community. It makes things worse across the board, not better. Hmm. Did I miss it? Was Did he mention Antifa in that? I missed it. Because that's who this is. That's who's organizing this. That's who's spearheading the operations. These are the tactics of Black Bloc. I just find that interesting because in a bit you're going to hear Joe Biden make some demands of Donald Trump. After days, this is again Politico, after days of Trump contending that Biden was a tool of a radical movement sowing discord in American cities, Biden tried to put the president on his heels. Biden called on Trump to denounce all forms of violence and accused him of fanning unrest with streams of tweets, including some that seemed to support confrontations in the streets. 
Fires are burning, and we have a president who fans the flames rather than fighting the flames. All right, all right hang on a second. Just real quick. Who set the flames? Who set the, the fires? It's not, it's not Trumpers, guys. It's not conservatives. It's not right-wing militias. It, it's not anybody of the right that is setting these fires. That's looting and burning. That's, those are actions of the left. They have been engaged in this now for almost four months. Now, maybe they think that people watching this are just going to be too stupid to understand that, but I'm not so sure. But we must not burn. We have to build. This president long ago forfeited any moral leadership in this country. He can't stop the violence because for years he's fomented it. You know, he may believe mouthing the words law and order makes him strong. But his failure to call on his own supporters to stop acting as an armed militia in this country shows how weak he is. Where was Joe Biden calling on Antifa to stop? Where's Joe Biden saying, hey, lefty protesters, stop it. Lefty rioters. You know, he just said rioters and looters. So we're just supposed to assume that he's calling out his own side. Isn't that a neat little trick? He doesn't have to identify the people as his own when he calls them out. But he demands that Trump call out his own side by name when calling out the violence. When the only people that are actually committing this violence that we're seeing all over the place in all these cities are of the left. See, this is he's, he, what, he, what he's attempting to do is blur the lines and equate the left and the right as equally culpable in the violence that's occurring. And they're not. They're just not, guys. I'm sorry. But I'm not sorry, actually. Not at all. Um you don't want to be sorry. In case you need some equipment and you didn't go get it, you will end up being sorry that you didn't get it from Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde. And if you go someplace else, you're probably going to be sorry you went there. Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde. Tim has uh, an entire line of first aid kits and medical supplies. This will help you out in any kind of an emergency, and uh, it'll save you a trip to the hospital. It could, depending on the nature of the of the wound. But he's got these kits that have step by step instructions that anybody can follow, and it will uh, will address you know scrapes all the way up to gunshot wounds. He's got body armor, all kinds, made to NATO specs, but you got to buy these in store or over the phone only. And uh, he's got face masks. These are made by local family veterans that are. Uh, it's a disabled veteran family. So uh, they make them out of military parachutes. So they're lightweight, they're soft, and it goes to a good cause. Steel gas cans, the pre-band kind, old school ones, plus real U.S. military surplus. For more than three decades, Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. Uh, the shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. Politico reports... But Trump seemed to cede whatever ground he might have gained when he turned to social media and not only refused to condemn violence from some of his own supporters, but retweeted a video of his supporters attacking protesters. His spokesperson later said he hadn't watched that video. So now, like, that is Trump's Achilles heel, isn't it? <laughs> He's his own worst enemy on some of this stuff because he tweets out things that uh, then they claim, oh, well, he didn't see it. And maybe that's true. I don't know what the video was. I didn't see it either. Okay. Biden, in his speech, dared the president to reject violence perpetrated by his own supporters. 
uh, which, of course, Biden did not do uh, for his own supporters. He did not call them out by name. He just said protesting is not looting and protesting is not rioting. If only we knew who those people were that were doing those things, maybe we could identify them and Joe could get right on that. Yet hours later at a White House briefing, Trump refused to do this, even when he was asked about his uh, about his supporters shooting pepper spray and paintballs at protesters. By the way, the reason why they had pepper spray and the paintball guns was because they were being attacked. That's why they brought the paintball guns. They didn't bring actual firearms. They brought paintball guns. And they brought them because... Uh, they expected the left to engage in violence, and lo and behold, they did. The left threw rocks at their cars from overpasses on the interstate. So as the, the line of vehicles is heading into Portland, you've got leftists on the bridge overpasses throwing rocks, trying to kill Trump voters. And then they eventually do. One of the Antifa guys does kill a Trump voter. And the thing he screams right before he shoots him is what? He doesn't say, hey, look, it's a right-wing militia. He doesn't say that. No, what does he say? The guy who screams out says, we got a Trumper here. That's all it took. That is all it took to murder the guy. We have a Trumper, kill him. How many people outside of conservative media know that that's what happened? I've been reading reports. It's not mentioned in Politico. I don't see it anywhere. The mainstream legacy media outlets, they're not they're not telling you that that's what was screamed. Hey, we got a Trumper here. Why is that important? Well, if you happen to be a person that likes to wear Trump paraphernalia, your life might be in danger simply by wearing that paraphernalia. And I know folks on the left would probably hear that and say, well, you should expect that anyway. I mean, this has been going on for five years. And yes, it has. People have been getting attacked for wearing Trump paraphernalia for five, six years now. However, I think it's a little bit, I don't know, more of a risk when people start shooting others over their paraphernalia. And by the way, it wasn't even paraphernalia. It didn't even say Trump. The guy was, he had a, what was it, a Patriot Prayer? That organization? That's what they, I mean, that's, that's the only hat that the guy was wearing that had any kind of logo like that on it. After, so here's Politico again. After months of test driving ways to brand Biden, Trump and his allies have settled on painting him as an unwitting instrument of socialists and left-wing radicals. They say Biden is too oblivious to understand he's being exploited and too weak to buck their orthodoxy in the rare times when he does. You know me. You know my heart. You know my story, my family story. Ask yourself. Do I look like a radical socialist with a soft spot for rioters? No, that's the point, though. That's the whole point, that that you don't know what's going on. And the people that are doing these things, they're using you as cover. You're the patsy. Like That's the argument, at least. Now, you can disagree that you're the patsy, um, but it doesn't it's not really going to matter. Right. You could say, oh, I'm not giving them cover. They don't need you to acknowledge it. And I'm not sure what exactly you're doing. You can't even name Antifa. You haven't. He still has it. Really? Really. I want a safe America. Mm. Safe from COVID. Safe from crime and looting. Safe from racially motivated violence. Safe from bad cops. Let me be crystal clear. Safe from four more years of Donald Trump. So, um, Joe Biden might be surprised to learn that this 
violence, this racial, uh, racial uh, motivated violence and the cops shooting people uh, and the Black Lives Matter protesting and the rioting and the looting. It began under Trump's predecessor, which I think Joe Biden might know. You would honestly like if if this is the these are the things that he wants to save America from. Why didn't he save America from these things when he was vice president for eight years and they started? What happened? Question not asked. Of course, he didn't even take any questions. He still hasn't. As far as I know, he still hasn't taken any questions at any of these press events. So here's Politico's final uh, wrap up. But each time Trump has tried to tag Biden, the Democrat emerged with the upper hand and his lead in the polls has grown. The run ins. <laughs> so I love this. This is the arbiter of truth, by the way. Right? Look, we're just calling balls and strikes. And, you know, kind of like the judges in a boxing match when we think that some guy got the KO and the other one didn't. The run ins follow a familiar pattern. Trump bet that Biden could not defy growing calls from the left to defund the police. But in response, Biden said he not only opposes defunding police, but he wants to spend more on law enforcement, which, of course, the president won't be able to do. Trump said Biden supports banning hydraulic fracturing, and Biden said unequivocally that he does not, even though, of course, in the past he has. Doesn't matter for Politico. Uh, Trump said that Biden supports banning fracking. And so Biden says, no, I didn't. And Politico's like, see, he didn't. He says he didn't. Ha ha, in your face. When, in fact, there's actually campaign footage from, uh, what, eight years ago and four years ago where he talks about doing that very thing. Anyway, Trump has repeatedly returned to the idea that Biden would refuse to condemn rioting so as to not offend liberal voters. But Biden has repeatedly denounced the people rioting, looting and setting fires to property. Right. Denouncing the violence is one thing. Calling on your voters to stop doing it is another. He's not making the connection between Antifa, and that's what that's what Trump is hitting him on. Because, yes, uh, uh, Joe Biden has, like, here you go, back in June, the country is crying out for leadership. Leadership can unite us. Leadership that can bring us together. Leadership that can recognize the pain and deep grief of communities that have had a knee on their neck for too long. But there is no place for violence, no place for looting or destroying property or burning churches or destroying businesses. Many of them built by people of color. For the first time, we're beginning to realize their dreams and build wealth for their families. Nor is it acceptable for our police, sworn to protect and serve all people, to escalate tensions or resort to excessive violence. So what is he saying there? What is he doing? Maybe this sounds familiar when I say it this way. Good people on both sides. Right? That's what he's doing. He's doing the very thing that the left ripped Donald Trump for doing. When Donald Trump was talking about the protest that occurred, the demonstration that occurred before the other demonstration. See, a lot of folks on the left, this is all going to be brand new information for them. They're just not aware of it. And when you tell them this, it like short circuits their brain. They usually just collapse and run away. Um, Donald Trump and I attacked him the day after he made these comments about Charlottesville or that day when I was still uh, on the radio, um, because he should have been clearer. And what he did was he allowed people to draw an incorrect, uh, idea of what he was talking about, which was, uh, that there was a protest first over the tearing down of a Robert E. Lee statue. And there were just people that were out there protesting that. And then the unite the right rally occurred right afterwards and so and that was the the white supremacy crowd who by the way has now endorsed joe biden but we're not supposed to pay any attention to that so the uh, the white supremacy guys they were the ones with the tiki torches and they were the ones where one of them was the one that ran uh, his car into the protesters the next day so um 
and, and killed a woman that was uh, uh, that was protesting against the Unite the Right and the uh, and the, the Confederate monument. So what Trump was saying was that there were good people on both sides, and he was talking about the initial demonstration that occurred about the statue. Because then he goes on to say, "Yo, I condemn in all of you know harshest terms the uh, uh, the white supremacists and all of those guys, the Tiki Torch guys. Yeah, they stink." But the first one, he was saying there were good people on both sides of that one. But of course, everybody then says, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's doing the both sides thing. Okay, so the media is framing this as Trump refuses to condemn or disavow Kyle Rittenhouse because he was specifically asked about this. Um, Let me go ahead and start. This is from the uh, the press conference that Trump did yesterday uh, where he first comes out and says, hey, you know, the stock market's doing well. Then he says China virus update. We got a lot of tests uh, that are becoming available. Uh, The vaccine is in phase three clinical trials. And then he shifts to focus on the violence. I also want to provide an update on left wing political violence that we're seeing in Democrat run cities. Under my administration, federal law enforcement is working with state and local authorities all over the country to comb through hours of video, track down rioters, looters and arsonists and bring them to justice. We've just come up with a report that we've arrested uh, a large number of people. Uh, It's over 200 and uh, you'll be hearing about that, but they've been arrested in various cities throughout the United States. We're doing it very low-key, but we're trying to help cities. They are, in all cases, Democrat-run, but we're doing the best we can to help them without really much of a consent. We'd like to have the consent. As an example, in Portland, we could solve that problem in approximately one hour, but the mayor refuses, perhaps for political reasons. I don't know why it's good for him to have a city that's falling apart. And that's under siege now for 94 days. But really, it's been under siege for years, if you know Portland. So uh, to the mayor, I say, whenever you're ready, let us know. We'll solve your problem of violence. We'll solve your problem of crime. We'll arrest those criminals very rapidly. And you'll be able to have some nice evenings in Portland. Now, maybe you think you can't have any nice evenings in Portland. Uh, and so you want to sell your house and you want to get out you want to come to the mountains. Well, if that's the case, then you call Rowena Patton and she can uh, find you a house. If you're looking to sell your house here in the mountains and move even farther away from human beings, same number, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com is the website, 333-4483, Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Christy and I are using them, as I said we would when we are uh, buying our house. You should, too. She's got homes lined up. She has homes in all price points, and she's got buyers lined up as well. So give her a call, buying or selling, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and then start packing. Now, did you notice the language that Donald Trump was using in uh, in this uh, soundbite? Keeps calling it left-wing political violence in Democrat-run cities, and that is true. And I know this angers the left, but it is true. This is where it's occurring, and this is who is doing it. Despite Biden's inability to call out leftists for this, these are his people that are doing it. These people are not voting for Donald Trump. The people that are out there protesting and rioting and looting and burning things and assaulting cops, those are not Trump voters. And I know this is so obvious that only a leftist cannot see it, but it is the truth, okay? The thing that I think Democrats are concerned about on this is that when Donald Trump starts labeling you, it sticks, <laughs> As my friend Gene used to say, it is sticky. He he comes up with a name for you and you're done, right? Little Marco, uh, low energy Jeb, 
uh, Sleepy Joe, um, and Lion Ted Cruz, right? It's sticky. So Trump then announces that the Departments of Homeland Security and Justice uh, have opened a joint operations center to investigate the violent left-wing civil unrest. He says over 100 rioters have already been arrested in Portland alone. The wave of violence and destruction that we've seen in recent weeks and months has occurred in cities exclusively controlled and dominated by the Biden, Joe Biden party. If you take a look, the top 10 in the country are Democrats. It's Democrat-run cities, and it's a shame, and it can be solved so easy. It can be solved very easily. The violence is fueled by dangerous rhetoric from far-left politicians that demonize our nation and demonize our police. We have to allow our police to do what they're very good at doing. We've taken that power away. They're afraid to lose their pension, their job, their everything. They're afraid to be destroyed. You saw this when left-wing extremists attacked law-abiding citizens attending the Republic, the Republican National Convention at the White House, including Senator Rand Paul and his wonderful wife, Kelly, what they went through, but other people went through it, too. And that was done very... Uh, Systematically, that was done on purpose. They knew we were having the convention and they wanted to do everything they could to disrupt it. And the good news is the public is very wise to it. They see what's happening and they're wise to it. Speaking of getting wise to stuff, uh, here you go. Schaefer Smith Design. Now you are wise to how to run a website. Actually, Schaefer knows how to do that and he'll do it for you. He can help you build it. Professional services, corporate, small business, entrepreneurs. He can help all of you with graphics and photos and online stores, search engine optimization, website maintenance, website security. He even does logos. He did my logo for the Pete Callender Show. Go to SchaeferSmith.com. You probably know how to run your business very well but you probably don't know everything to know about website development and maintenance and security. Schaefer Smith can help you. SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. All right, and so now Donald Trump takes a couple questions from the White House press corps. I have a question on coronavirus, but first you were just criticizing Joe Biden saying he didn't mention the far left or Antifa during his speech today. You said you wanted to talk about left-wing political violence. Yeah. But I noticed you did not mention that your supporters were also in Portland this weekend firing paintball guns at people, some form of pepper spray. So do you want to also take this chance to condemn what your supporters did? Well, I understand they had large numbers of people that were supporters, but that was a peaceful protest. And paint is not, and paint is a defensive mechanism, paint is not bullets. Uh, your supporters, your supporters, and they are your supporters indeed, <laughs> uh, shot a young gentleman who, uh, and killed him, not with paint, but with a bullet. And I think it's disgraceful. These people, they protested peacefully. They went in very peacefully. And I'll tell you what they're protesting. They're protesting when they turn on television or read whatever they may be reading, and they see a city like Chicago, where 78 people were shot and 13 died, or a city like New York, where the crime rate has gone through the roof, or a city like Portland, where the, the entire city is ablaze all the time, and a mayor says, we don't want any help from the federal government. When these people turn that on and they see that, they say, this is not our country. This is not our country. That was a peaceful protest, totally. It was a supporter of yours, Mr. President. It was a supporter of yours, Mr. 
part that he would kill someone is accused of killing Excuse two me? people. Also, a supporter of yours. Condemn the actions of vigilantes like Kyle Rittenhouse. And well, we're we're looking at all of it. Uh, that was an interesting situation. You saw the same tape as I saw. Yeah, maybe not. And uh, <laughs> he was trying to get away from them. I guess it looks like, and he fell. And then they very violently attacked him. And it was something that we're looking at right now, and it's under investigation. But uh, I, I guess he was in very big trouble. He would have been. I, he probably would have been killed. But. Do you it's under it's under investigation. Do you think private citizens should be taking guns? I'd like to see law enforcement take care of everything. I think everything should be taken care of law enforcement. But again, we have to give our cops back, our police back their dignity, the respect. They're very talented people. They're strong. They're tough. They can do the job. But we've taken it away. We don't want to have when somebody makes a mistake, he chokes or in some cases, you have bad cops. We have to take care of that. In other cases, they choke. They're under, they have a quarter of a second, a quarter of a second to make a decision. And sometimes they make the wrong decision. If they make the wrong decision, you know, if they make the wrong decision in the other direction, they're probably dead. So they choke sometimes. And that goes on the evening news for weeks. Now, here's the thing that a lot of folks in the media and uh, the left, uh, but I repeat myself, won't understand is that what Donald Trump just said there, people on the right recognize completely. They totally understand what he's saying. Um, Something else. The question about Rittenhouse, the kid, the 17-year-old kid, it presumes that his actions were not legitimate. And the demand to disavow actually can jeopardize his prosecution. Right, The president of the United States weighing in on a case might actually make it harder for them to prosecute that kid. Not sure the media was aware of that. That's a wrap for this episode. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate that. And uh, all of the links that you need are in the description of the podcast. Thanks so much for your support. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.